Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, welcome back, fans, to a two-consecutive loss edition of the No Quarter Given podcast. Peter Blake, what is going on here, man? we got to break the losing streak. I'm telling you, and I got an opportunity to go to the game right before my birthday, and I thought I was going to be a good luck charm, and I don't know what that was on Sunday night. Uh, All the excitement, and then, of course, it's dashed just like that by Rashard White fumbling all the momentum in Kansas City. But for me, the biggest story was the defense. We talked at nauseum about how great this defense was, and they didn't have an answer for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs the other night at all. It was embarrassing. First of all, before we get to it, happy birthday, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. What are you, What are you? Uh, 52 now? I am 24. <laughs> I'm 44 years old. I feel great. I feel like I'm 24. You look good, man. You look like Thanks, you don't man. you don't look a you don't look a day over thirty eight. There you go. Appreciate <laughs> it. See, that's the reason why I shaved the beard in the first place. That's right, man. Yeah. All right, we want to give everybody a, 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 again shout out to to, to uh, uh, Peter Blake for his birthday. We also have some other good, exciting news this week. Paul Stewart, our boss man here at the BuckPower.com podcast network. Paul Stewart is coming from England. Is in route as we speak. In it, from England to Tampa, he's going to be at the Bucks Falcons game this week. Um, we're going to meet up with Paul, me, you, Paul, and TJ next next Tuesday. We're going to meet up for a little little dinner, and we're going to get some BuckPower.com t-shirts. From what I hear, and nice. maybe even a, uh, a a computer pad and all that kind of good stuff. So, looking forward to seeing Paul Stewart. I need a mouse pad, by the way, and I definitely need some new uh, new shirts there, Paul. So it'll be good to see him. And, of course, we all know that you're going to be buying dinner. So I'm just joking. As long as you're eating wings, man. I'm, I'm, hey, hey speaking of that, yes. we're going to be – you and I are going to be at our at Beefo Brady's on Saturday over in Carrollwood Forest Hills, Bush, and, Bush, uh, Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. We're going to be doing another game day live remote. Uh, we're going to be previewing college football on Saturday and the NFL slate on – Sunday, but it's gonna be we're gonna be there from sat on Saturday from about two to about three thirty or so. So, Buck fans, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, stop by, say hello. We'd love to hear from you. You can interact with us on the show in the restaurant. You can watch ball games on Saturday. We're gonna, we're gonna talk college football, NFL, Bucks. We're gonna probably have a guest or two during the hour and a half. So, I know you and I were there last week. Did you have a good time? I absolutely had a great time. And uh, once again, the chicken was good there. The food is always good at Beefo Brady's. But there was no good luck for us because no. Florida State fell to Wake Forest. USF got their doors blown off. Yep. So it was not necessarily the best day for college football fans locally here if you're a Florida State or a USF fan. In fact, it was kind of embarrassing. All right, two more notes, and we'll get to we'll yes. get to the to the to the carnage that was Kansas yeah. City. Yes. Friday night, I'm out, and I know you're a big wrestling fan. Friday night, I was out in Clearwater socializing with a couple fellas. Clearwater Beach, and we happened to stroll into Hogan's Hangout, which is a little bar there on Clearwater Beach. 
about 9.30 or so, watching a little UCLA in Washington. And guess who rolls in about 11 o'clock? Brother. <laughs> the man, the, 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 the owner, the, the living legend himself, Mr. Hulk Hogan, was say in the prayers, building. Eat your vitamins. Or eat take your vitamins, vitamins, say your prayers. He was even wearing his bandana. He was wearing his NWO shirt. Never change, in- Hulk Hogan. Never change. <laughs> Mr. Hulk Hogan, I know you're a huge wrestling fan. Love it. Woo! Not the nature boy. Nice. But eat your vitamins and uh, Hulk Ho- Hulkamania, brother. brother. How many times did he call you brother in a sentence? That's what I want to know. He did get on the mic, though, and sp- spoke to the audience. And he, he was, I'll give him credit. He and even Nick, Ho- his, his son, oh, Nick Hogan, was spinning the tunes as the DJ that night. Yeah. It was a family affair. That's good. That's a good thing. His uh, son was spinning the tunes and, and not spinning his wills. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last thing we'll get to the Bucks. Yes. Is Aaron Judge your home run king or is it Barry Bonds? By far. He is the home run king. You know why? Because he did it clean, Jason Powers. Everybody yeah. else did it dirty. Everybody wants to say that Bonds has the all time record and the single season record. I just don't buy it. I think it's hogwash. Everybody should basically be giving their flowers and their roses to Mr. Aaron Judge this year for the year that he's had for the New York Yankees, not only the MVP, possibly an opportunity to win the Triple Crown. It's been amazing. And ask, uh, you know, Roger Maris Jr. what he thinks about Judge and what he's done this year. You'll get your answer right there. Yeah, good for good for Aaron Judge doing it, uh, by the way. Pretty nice lottery ticket. That person in Texas in the front row of the, of the bleachers mm. catching that ball is going to be a nice lottery ticket if he wants it to be. Oh, he'll yeah. probably he'll probably fetch a couple million bucks for that ball if he if he wants to. Mm. Two million dollars right there in your bank account. Oh, <laughs> think about that, and we heard we heard from you know former announcer who actually went locally to golf high school, uh, Sarah Walsh, who was disappointed in her husband, who I guess is a bullpen coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yes. And he didn't collect anything. He just gave the ball up. She was disappointed. She was like, that could have been worth some money. And she was right about it. So uh, well, he, he he can't collect them. I mean, he works for the organization. He can't keep the ball. Come on. Now, no, if you're, what would Peter Blake do with two million bucks if he caught the ball? Would you sell the ball? Uh, no, I would not sell the ball unless I'm going to get two million dollars. I get two million dollars for it or more. Uh, then, yeah, I'm going to pay my bills off. I'm going to help my mom out. I'm going to help my family out. And I'm going to put that money away so I could save it so I don't ever have to get on the phone again and sell anything. How about that? So, yeah, you're going to uh, be the Peter Blake Podcast Network is what it would be called, brother. You know it. You know it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to the carnage Sunday night. Yes. You were in the building. Mm. I mean, just a, a disastrous start. Rashad White fumbling that kickoff. You know, two plays later, Travis Kelsey basically walks in the end zone. In the Bucks, in the Bucks, I mean, they answered, give him credit, they went down, kicked the field goal. But after that, they just could not stop Patrick Mahomes. They had him a couple times bottled up, and he give Patrick credit. He made two great plays, the Carlton Davis blitz, that he had him wrapped up on third down, and he completed the three-yard pass. And then, obviously, we all saw the the – the, the, the scramble play around the goal line where he flips the ball in the end zone. But uh, just to uh, give – again, the Bucks defense did not have an answer in that first half. No, and it seemed like on first down, and the Bucks were trying to run the ball on first down, they weren't having success, and they really haven't had that much success this year on first down. But Kansas City was having that success, if you yeah. will, getting six, seven, eight yards 
So you, you add that up and it comes down to manageable situations, right? Jason Powers. So you're able to open that playbook up and with a Mahomes, a third and two or third and three, you can start to really get creative. Oh yeah. The disappointing aspect about the defense is not only did they not get consistent pass pressure on a Mahomes, but they didn't stop the running game all night long. In fact, in tune of 179. Oh, I heard it was 189. Okay. 189 total rushing yards. That's not going to get it done. I mean, this had to be one of the most disappointing performances in Todd Bowles' career defensively. I get it. He's a head coach, but he's also a defensive coordinator. Have you ever seen this defense play this bad? Well, there's been some moments. They've not played great in the four years he's been here, but I get your point with the expectation. Here's what I was, and here's the scary part. Mm-hmm. Kansas City didn't have an 80 yard touchdown. They no. just methodically went down the field. It wasn't like they were gashing us for 25 and 30 at a time. The running game, it was six, seven, eight yards a clip running the ball. Pacheco ran the ball really hard. You know, Edwards Hilaire was solid. And again, Mahomes was just, was just, was just like he was, it was a puppet. He was yeah. just, and and I didn't like that the Bucks didn't put a lot of pressure on him in that first half. They didn't blitz much. You know, the the again, Barrett and Shoyinka didn't put much pressure, and Vita Vea was kind of uh, invisible on Sunday night. But give Kansas City their offensive line manhandled the defensive line, and Shaq Barrett probably shouldn't be running your mouth during the week about what you're going to do to the KCO offensive line. Because that's bullets and board material, and that offensive line took that to heart, and they basically came out and dominated that Bucks defensive line, holding at bay a JTS and, of course, the Shaq Barrett. And I talked to Shaq before the game and asked him, you know, you're going to get after the quarterback. And, of course, everybody remembers just two years earlier in Super Bowl 55 how many injuries that offensive line had at the time and how the advantage favored the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, that was not to be the other night. And, and Mahomes' mobility is underrated. He is very good running around in the pocket. He knows how to get those seven or eight yards, scrambling, get out of bounds, not get hit when it's third and three, third and four. He is really good at him. Mean, he, he doesn't look like he's the most a- athletic guy, but he's he's athletic enough. You saw the play where he flipped the ball in the end zone. He outran Anthony Nelson to the corner to be able to create that, to, create, to keep the play alive, and then he flipped the ball in the end zone. Yeah, and I think the most disappointing aspect also was Vita Vea. Where was he and how much of a major injury losing at Akeem Hicks is? Because you didn't see that constant pressure. You didn't have a lot of action. Once again, the offensive line of Kansas City really dominated that line. And you're exactly right. When Mahomes gets outside of that pocket, he scales the pocket. He's smart enough to get down and slide. He did that in the red zone just a couple of times. And that's really frustrating because you can't put a hit on him. If a quarterback is going to run, you want to make sure to put a hit on him. So you remind him not to do that next time. The Bucs weren't able to do that on Sunday night. And Buck fans, I want to remind you, we have two great interviews after our after our review of the Kansas game. We're going to talk to Super Bowl champion, the first ever Buccaneers Super Bowl champion quarterback of your Buccaneers, one Brad Johnson. Wow. Is joining us. You Peter and I interviewed Brad. What an interview it is. He does he, he talks about his, you know, you just listen, you're gonna love it. It's a great interview. He talks about his buck buck career, how he got here, all that kind of stuff. So we're gonna have Brad Johnson gonna talk. Paul Stewart's going to give a montage of the Atlanta Falcons. So lots of, I mean, great in, in, insight we're going to provide you on the episode. We're almost done with review, and then we're going to preview the Falcons game after Paul Stewart's montage. But before we, before we wrap up the, the review of Kansas City, let's, let's go to the offensive side. A couple of things. I'm starting to get worried about Julio Jones. 
I mean, non-existent. One catch for seven yards. Is and he his hurt? health. And his uh, health. Right. I mean, is he hurt at this point? Is he's been largely ineffective since the Dallas game? Chris Godwin uh, looked good. Uh, he kind of got banged up, but he was okay. Got the yep. wind knocked out of him. And Mike Evans, you know, once again, the most consistent player on this team and probably yep. the best teammate and surpassing James Wilder with scrimmage yards for the franchise. Mike Evans, two touchdowns doing Mike Evans stuff. But you need uh, another wide receiver on this team, especially if Julio Jones. I mean, I get it. You got Chris Godwin, you got Russell Gage, but Jones has been largely ineffective. And it kind of makes you wonder with Cole Beasley today retiring, yep. does that open up the arrival of OBJ? I predicted this. I think OBJ will be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I know. I was talking some nonsense. Even Paul reminded me of this team going undefeated that they could get past the Packers. But seriously, OBJ to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just seems to make so much sense. At the end of the day, this team is in a great position. You're not sure about your wide receiving depth and help. So, Peter Blake, we have to get the running game going. Six rushes. And again, I don't blame Byron Leftwich. After at some point, you have to say, screw it. You can't keep running the ball when you're down 21 to three. When right. you get nothing, when it's second and eleven, you can't. I mean, I don't. I'm not killing Byron for not calling the running plays, but the offensive line has got to do better in the running game. Kansas City, I'm not saying they're 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 not terrible on defense, but that's a team you should be able to run the ball a little bit on. And I think it was a little bit predictable because you mentioned it second and eleven because you're running on first down, and that seemed like that's all you did the whole game is run on first down, and you had no success at all. So you got to kind of change it up. But you're exactly right. Your game plan changes. When you're down 14 to three or you're down 21 to 10, you have to start throwing the ball. And that's exactly what the Bucks did 52 times. Brady passed for over 350 passing yards with three touchdowns, no interceptions, but he also took some brutal hits. And that's what you kind of worry about out of this game. Supposedly, according to Sports Illustrated, he has a minor uh, rotator cuff injury and also right. he hurt his ring finger uh, just a couple weeks ago. So, once again, the onus has to be on this offensive line. And once again, this offense has to be balanced because if you get into that situation where you're throwing over 40 times, you're just asking for it with Brady possibly getting hurt. And, and, the, and the other part, yeah, team. the other part about the running game, time of possession, we got killed 39-21 time of possession. The defense was on the field way too long. And again, Brady and the offense moved the ball. When they threw it, they were moving it, but we only have the ball 21 minutes. You only can do so much with 21 minutes of possession time. I mean, again, the game got to 28-17. You thought, okay, maybe there's a chance here, 28-17, but they just could not get off the field on third down and on defense. Well, I remember at 21-10, they go for fourth down, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a you know perfect right. catch. He could be going to the end zone. He drops an all right. down. So the Bucks are fortunate at that point. And then I think it's like two plays later, Sneed comes on a blitz and yep. absolutely tattoos Brady, fumbles the ball. The Chiefs have a short field. And yep. They go on to score a touchdown. That's a momentum killer at that yes. point. Because, yeah, you're down 28 to 17, but who knows? If your offense could get any points, you make it that much closer. So that's the kind of night it was for this right. Bucks team, not just the defense, but overall. I mean, it seemed like, again, one step forward, Two steps back. Give 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 the give the, uh, again. We want to also want to want to give a shout out to all the uh, fans for all the Florida strong and all the all we want to, all our thoughts with all the people down in Southwest Florida and throughout Florida that were affected by Hurricane Ian. It was a tough storm that went through. 
the state of Florida and even in South Carolina, North Carolina. So I want to give a shout out to all our Buck fans down in that part of the region that were affected potentially by this storm. I know you guys are going through a tough time. We're here to try to give you a little relief from your from the stress that you're going through. We we're thinking about you. And Peter, you can tell me the stadium. It seemed like it was a lot of Florida strong. Everybody wearing you know tributes, raising money outside. I'm I'm sure outside of Raymond James Stadium as well. Yeah, I mean, lots of fans there, lots of Florida Strong shirts, but the disappointing thing was the PA announcer for the first quarter was out, so they kept on trying to do these cutaways of uh, Buccaneers saying how much or what they thought about the people down in Fort Myers in southwest Florida. Nobody could hear it, so there was a malfunction in itself, so that was disappointing. And with that being said, Todd Bowles kind of said, you know what, we lost the football game, but then he mentioned on uh, Tuesday nights, on the Buccaneer Radio Network, how he felt like, you know, maybe with all those moving parts at the end of the day, that was somewhat of a distraction. I don't, reason, I don't buy that. You've got to kind of think it is because if you're a person in Tampa Bay and you have to possibly evacuate, are you really thinking about the game against the Kansas City Chiefs or are you thinking about possibly evacuating your family? So I, I definitely think there's something there, and Todd wouldn't have mentioned it. If he didn't feel that way, and he even said on that show, you know, preparation is the key versus the Atlanta Falcons, and preparation was the key versus the Chiefs, and it certainly seemed like this Bucks team was not prepared to play the Kansas City Chiefs, and Todd Bowles, you know, he he took full blame for it in the press conference. He did. I'll give him credit, yep. I thought it was really interesting he mentioned that uh, during you know, his Tuesday night show. I don't think it was a cop-out. I think that it was a real thing. I mean, think about it. They're going down to Miami. They're concerned about their family. You have a hurricane that could possibly hit the area. It's a yeah. cat or cat five. I think some of that stuff has to be taken into context. I'm not going to give them a pass for that because the defense was just terrible. Now had they scored, had they lost 41 to three or 41 to 10, that's the offense played fine. The offense scored plenty. It wasn't, it wasn't the offense. The offense did their preparation. The defense just got torched and he's the defensive coordinator. He's got to take the hit for that. And I think he did. I'll give him credit. He took the hit. He said, we got, we got our butts kicked. Mm-hmm. Last, last thing I want to talk about before we get to Brad Johnson and, and, and Paul Stewart, the Cambrai situation mm. going off the field end of the first half, got hit in the head. You know, struggled to get off the. Remember, the Bucks got a penalty for having twelve men on the field. There was a substitution issue, according to Todd Bowles. He doesn't get diagnosed. Then he they they he goes back in the game for the two minute drill at the end of the half. Then at halftime, they realize he's got concussion symptoms. Not a good look for the Buccaneers following the Tua Tungavailoa situation. No, not a good look at all. Not a good look for the National Football League or the National Football League Players Association, and it's becoming a problem and. Yeah, I mentioned this on my show tonight. I mean, you have spotters that are able to recognize when there's a camera going back to Spygate. Why don't you have a spotter in the stadium that's able to recognize players that have those concussion uh, those symptoms? Why aren't you able to have people, other eyes, if you will, Jason Powers, to determine that? Because that they do, really- they do. They're there again. I didn't. I actually didn't see the play. I was driving home when all that happened, so I didn't even right. see the play. Right. I don't know how. I don't know how good you saw the play from where you were sitting. I didn't. But, see right. I mean, I didn't. I don't. I don't know. I, I. I can't. I'd have to see the replay to see. I don't think he was staggering off the field. I mean, you. 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 Did, was he struggling to get off the field? I didn't see that. I honestly did not see the play, unfortunately, and okay. I had to get an update from my cell phone that he was out with concussion okay. protocol. 
So I, I had no idea what happened, but it's, right. it's a thing that can't continue to happen in the National Football League because it's a black eye, and it could be a very dangerous situation. We saw what happened to Tua against Cincinnati and, and how that scene when he got thrown down, which, by the way, I don't understand why the Bengal didn't get a penalty on that, the defender, because it, it looked like an egregious hit to me throwing him down. I get it, it's football, but still... And then you see the scene afterwards with his fingers, and that's just scary. That that's. Not- I ask you, and I want to ask you something, Peter Blake. Sure, go ahead. JJ Watt has a heart procedure on the Wednesday before the game on last week. What is he doing? Play? Why aren't we in an outrage and an uproar over JJ Watt playing when he had his heart when he was an AFib and had to have his heart shocked? I mean, we're we're, we're and I grant it, we should be all over the Dolphins for that. But why are we not talking about JJ Watt having a heart procedure? three days before the game and he plays because I think the trust is that JJ want wanted to play. It's a heart condition. I agree. Tua wanted to play too. And that's the problem. These players want to play. And it goes back to what any given Sunday, right? Where James Woods is making that whole speech and saying, these guys are gladiators. Don't take that right from them. But at the end of the day, you have to also protect their health because there could be a serious situation that would happen. What would happen if you did have a spinal injury to Tua? Then basically at that point, the Dolphins are liable. That kid's never going to play again. Sure. Who knows if that kid ever plays again? So you're exactly right. I couldn't believe that story didn't get more press, but you know, it's JJ Watt. I mean, the guy is just no, why problem. is Arizona not saying you're not playing Sunday? I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't because after what just happened with Tua. Because he gives them the best chance to win. And at the end of the day, as much as we want to sit here and say the NFL, the NFL Players Association, the teams care about their players, we all know what this comes back to. It comes back to revenue and money for that team. Well, that, I mean, him playing had nothing to do with the money. Well, I mean, it gives them the best chance to win. And winning is all about money, right? I mean, I just, I, I, I was sh- I I'm shocked that that story has not gotten more legs I agree. this week. I agree. Especially when he had a press conference after the game saying, I was scared to death, you know, when I had to have this procedure done on Wednesday or Thursday of last week. You know, I was nervous thinking about my newborn coming, whatever, whatever, whatever. And this guy's playing in the game Sunday. No Is allowed to play in the game Sunday? No business playing in the game. If JJ, if JJ Watt comes to me and says, I want to play in the game, and you have a heart procedure just a couple days you're ago, not playing. you're not playing. But that's – that's there is no – there, there's no balance there, right? There's no mediator. There's no, there's not another set of eyes saying, you know what, this is not going on. It's, and everybody wants to say, well, it was on the neurologist. He wasn't affiliated with the Miami Dolphins. That's a cop out. The Dolphins knew. The Dolphins coaches knew. Most likely, the owners knew. That's the way they operate, and they're just trying to basically cover their, you know what. Yeah, interesting situation. All right, so we're going to go to Brad Johnson. Again, you're going to enjoy this interview. It was a great – we talked to Brad for about 15 minutes about all things Buccaneers, his Buccaneer career. He is going to – and I'm going to give you a little preview, Peter. You, you, you remember we love this part. Brad is going to tell you the exact play call when Joe Jaravicious caught the ball in the vet on the, on the crossing route for the touchdown in Philadelphia when they won the NFC title game. The exact verbiage of the play call. How cool was that? So cool. So cool. All right. Enjoy our interview with Brad Johnson. Then we're going to follow that with Paul Stewart's going to give our montage of the Atlanta Falcons rivalry. You're going to enjoy that montage as well. And after the montage, we'll be back with an Atlanta Falcons preview this Sunday, one o'clock Raymond James Stadium. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Bucks fans.
Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. No quarter given podcast. We are in the week four, week five edition. Bucks are going to be hosting the Atlanta Falcons in week five. And we got a tremendous guest for you, Buck fans. We told you we were going to get some guests for you this year. And we've got maybe the best Buck guest you can have. Super Bowl winning quarterback, Brad Johnson from the 2003 Super Bowl champions, Super Bowl 37. He led your Buccaneers to their first ever world championship. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Yep, man. I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for reaching out. Appreciate being on the podcast and and uh, tell some Buck stories and relive some old old days. So thank you. Yeah, Brad was quarterback from two thousand and one to two thousand and four. Welcome in Peter Blake as well, co-hosting. Appreciate you getting on with us. And uh, we're just going to talk to Brad for about ten minutes about his Buck career. We're going to go just ask some some good questions about his Buck career. First question I want to ask, and I'll get it to Peter. When you were making your decision, Brad, when you were a free agent. You had a decision to make between Baltimore and Tampa Bay. What was the one thing that was the big thing that was your determining factor in deciding you want to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Yeah, there were really two factors, to be honest with you. Um, one, I wanted the best contract that I could have, the most security, to be honest with you. And I felt, I, I, you know, obviously I could have gone to Baltimore and it, was, it would have been a great situation going back to my old coach with Brian Billick and wanted that to happen. But um, the, the way the contract was set up, it wasn't secure enough, I didn't feel like. And it played out that way for, for later for Elvis Gerback, to be honest with you. And then the other factor was to go to Tampa where they'd never won a Super Bowl before. They'd had three Super Bowl quarterbacks and Steve Young, um, Trent Dilfer, and um, Doug, Doug Williams. Williams that had won Super Bowls at other places, but it had never been done in Tampa. So for me, uh, hopefully to be the first one to do it for that franchise was a big deal. Last time the state of Florida happened was Bob Greasy in the early 70s. So right. uh, obviously it happened with Tom Brady uh, two years ago, but uh, that was a big reason for me to come to Tampa also. Peter Blake, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I mean, how much uh, did Tony Dungy have an impact yeah. on you, not only in that decision, but also throughout your playing career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yeah, Tony and I had been together in Minnesota for three years. He's the coordinator there, had a great relationship with Tony. Uh, and had played against the Buccaneers for, you know, quite a few times. Being in Minnesota in the division, uh, playing against them in Washington. I knew a lot of the players, too, with uh, Derrick Brooks and John Lynch and Warren Sapp and Mike Allstott. The list goes on. Like, there was, there was, there was great competition, but there was great uh, work done. I mean, we all knew each other. From the past. So it was an easy transition as far as people. But Tony Dungy, to play for him, was, uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, and what he had accomplished as far as setting the tone and, for what was going to be accomplished down there in Tampa. So that made the transition easy also, but thankful for that. that he brought me on. So that next year, obviously, John Gruden comes in. You, 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 Tony gets let go. Gruden comes in. Talk about, you know, obviously the the, 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 the thought was Gruden with the offensive mindset and, and bringing you in, having you. Talk about how the mentality changed with the offense that next year with, with, you know, Coach Gruden putting the pressure on you guys. Hey, we need you to be the, the reason why we win the Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt about it. And there's also a lot of roster moves that took place too. Right. I mean, right. he brought in – he brought – you, you, you got to give credit there. I mean, he brought in uh, uh, brought in Joe Jarevicius and Keenan McCardell at receivers and tight end Ricky Dudley and Ken Dilger and um, left tackle Robert Olbin and Kerry Jenkins, left guard, and Michael Pittman, the running back. Like, there was a lot of moves on the – there was like 15 to 20 moves on the roster management that were made. Right. And so, obviously, there was a tremendous defense there that had been great over time. And 
And then offensively, we, we got hot during that season too. But uh, for me, I love playing for John. It was awesome. He, he kind of programmed you in a way of being, um, you know, how not to waste plays, not waste time. Uh, didn't every play didn't have to be a, a home run shot. Just had to get yourself in a good place, play good football, and then be able to be clutch and clutch moments. So love playing for all of them. Thankful for that, for you know, to play for John. Besides the Super Bowl, Brad, what what's the memory you take out of that season, and how hurt were you? Because we heard reports it was a back, it was ribs. It, it made me think of Justin Herbert the other night dealing with the rib injury and trying to play through that. Kind of take us behind the curtain and. And yeah, how hurt you really were. Yeah, I really see. I would never tell anybody, you know. So um, that early in the year, October twentieth, I got my ribs cracked up in Philadelphia. So dealt with that torn car cartilage, and then at the end of the season, had a transverse process that uh, in my back that knocked me out for about two weeks. Right. And to be honest with you, one of the biggest things that never gets talked about was winning the last game of the season up in Chicago. Uh, Rob Johnson was the quarterback and uh, beating them. And then Green Bay Packers losing to the Jets. When they did that, we won the division. We got a bye, which gave me one more week to rest. Otherwise, I couldn't have played that first playoff game. So uh, that, was a, that was a huge deal that took place. We'd have had to win three games to get to the Super Bowl. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, I went through a lot of crazy injuries there, growing pulls and arm issues and shoulder issues. I mean, it's just part of the game. But that year, not only did I was able to recover from a lot of that, we had uh, a lot of other players just recovered from injuries that were able to keep on playing. So that's a big part of it. Talk about you know the the demon when when you when you got to town was being able to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. We that, that they struggled in the playoffs, lost. Talk about was that your Super Bowl when you when you closed down the vet when you guys closed down that knowing hey we're the best damn team in this league we can just get through Philadelphia. They were a team that they, you know, and then in their in their run, they had four opportunities. They went to four NFC Championship yeah. games in a row. They never won the Super Bowl, but in Philadelphia, but for us in, in Tampa, they'd beaten us four straight times, uh, beat us in the playoffs uh, twice. Right. Um, that year, October twentieth, we went up there. Gruden's first year, the one when we won the Super Bowl, and uh, they beat us. I don't know, like twenty to ten. I can't remember the score, but it felt like it was fifty-five to two. Like it was ugly. I left there with my ribs cracked. and Right. It was like, you know, Rocky Balboa running the streets. He got knocked out. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> how are we going to recover? And I'm there. How are we going to beat Apollo? You know what I mean? But we knew that to win the – to go to the Super Bowl, it was going to run through Philadelphia. And so we got that opportunity to go back up there, play in the cold, um, a team that was our nemesis. So, we, you know, that was the last game of – At the vet. At the vet, closed it down. They, they made us celebrate inside the locker room, not on the field. Um, tough place to play. The turf was horrendous. Right. Fans were tough on you, all the above. You know what I mean? But it's what you wanted. And it, yeah, it did feel like our Super Bowl. That was as, as much as rewarding a game as I've ever been a part of. And then the next year, we obviously opened up and uh, yep. we opened up the Lincoln Federal. I think at Lincoln is what it's called, I guess. And yep. uh, so closed it down and opened up the next one. Well, a couple more questions. Couple, couple more questions, Brad. We'll get you out of here. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, talk about that body blow, uh, Joe Jervicious. That play there kind of break that down. How much did it change the complexion of that game, and how much did you appreciate Jervicious and what he was going through that whole week? Yeah, he, he was going through his, his tough situation with his family, and his his little boy um, did pass away um, that year. 
And uh, so it was a tough time, but we didn't know if Joe was going, even going to play in the game. And uh, so Joe, he showed up. He didn't, he didn't practice that week. He showed up at nine o'clock, I think, Saturday night before the game. And so we just didn't know. And, uh, but they, and when the game took place, we, we were struggling the first quarter. They scored on the, the opening kickoff and then I threw a pick and just the game was ugly. I didn't know if we could get a first down. It was just, they had all the momentum. And so it was a crucial play. It was like third and three, third and four. Ball was, you know, play was called triple, uh, triple left, 83 double smash X option. Basically, it's two corners, two flats built in. I was getting ready to check out of the play. I was getting ready to check either 59 Lexus or 359 Sticky or 98 Tulsa. I thought they were, I, I thought they were going to blitz, okay? And, and so, I mean, here it is. I, I'm, I'm checking to like a little first down play. And all of a sudden, they gave, me, gave us the perfect coverage and quarters coverage. We call it X option or X jerk because we're going to make the mic, the middle linebacker, look like a jerk. And then Joe Jervis came across the middle, hit him on a little five-yard crossing route, and he takes it 73 yards. And I mean, and I call it the most pivotal play in, in Tampa Bay history. I, everybody remembers Rondé Barber for, at, yeah. the end of the, at the end of the game, but the game was almost over at that point, which was an incredible moment. But that play to me, triple F, 83, double, double smash X option, was the, the call of the year because I don't know if we get another first down. That's we don't right. win. And um, so uh, it was an incredible time for Joe, incredible moment for our team, and, and uh, it was pretty awesome. I'm glad I didn't check out the play. You only get this on the No Quarter Given podcast presented by BuckPower.com. The play call from to Joe Jarevich's biggest play in Buck history from our guy, the Super Bowl champion quarterback, Brad Johnson, who, yes. by the way, NFL record, 13 straight years of 60-plus 60, 60 percentage completion percentage NFL record, and he also threw a touchdown to himself. Not playing for the Buccaneers, but against the Carolina Panthers. And he's also a Florida State Seminole. I mean, Absolutely. Come on, let's just put that <laughs> I mean, the, the greatest players of all time in the National Football League history are out of Florida State. We all know that. Derek Brooks, we're talking about Brad Johnson here. So One more Super Bowl question, Brad. Talk about just that week, the whole week. It was obviously you had the advantage of Gruden knowing the Raiders and all that good stuff, but you still had to go out and beat them. Say what you want. You still have to go beat them. What was your what's your fondest memory of that whole week or that just the the whole experience yeah. of doing that as a Super Bowl yeah. champion quarterback? Yeah, real quick, real quick on Gruden on them. They knew Gruden's system too. He'd been their True. coach for four years, True. so I think they knew their they knew our offense better than we knew their offense. To be honest with you, so okay. that's what gets lost in it. But no, the week was an incredible moment. Um, we only had one week instead of two weeks in between the, for to get prepared for it, and uh, you had to get tickets. I ended up getting twenty tickets. Uh, hotel rooms, plane tickets. It, the media is creating kind of a crazy moment, but at the end of the day, you're playing a game and you don't want the moment to get too big. And, and so, but the, the cool things for me, I remember Celine Dion singing God bless America and the Dixie chick singing the national anthem and Don Shula doing the, the coin flip. And I'm yeah. like, man, I've been home at so many parties and eating chips and dip watching this game. Now it's, it's, here we are. Everybody's Your watching. Turn us, you know it, I mean? Your turn to go win it, brother. Your turn to go win it. No doubt about it. But you know, I, I just remember the confetti falling on our face at the end of the game, and and holding my son Max, who's two years old, and Nikki is seven and a half months pregnant with our other son Jake, and doing a Disney commercial with Gruden. And, <laughs> it, you know, the the song is our buddy Nick, you know, winning it all from outfields being played over it all over the loudspeaker. Yep, yep. I mean, champions of the world, all of the above. So it's really just a cool moment of all of it, and uh, kind of got to pinch yourself. There's so many great players 
three guys went on to be Hall of Famers with Brooks and Sapp and Lynch and hopefully Rondé Barber and Simeon Rice. There's so many other great players. But you got to think about all the people that impact our lives from uh, school teachers, our parents, our coaches. And just to share that with them was a pretty awesome moment. Last one, Peter, for you. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it may be a controversial question here. I know you may be a little bit biased, and that's okay, Brad. Who wins in a Super Bowl matchup that 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneer team versus Tom Brady's led 2020 Buccaneer team? Who wins and why? I always smoke them. Come on. <laughs> we smoke them. Nah, you know, it, it's great. The teams are so similar. People don't realize it. We had a great defense, but you know what? Their defense, they scored 145 points off of turnovers in regular season. They scored 45 points off of turnovers in the playoffs. Wow. Our defense, we had a great defense, too. If you want to look at Aaron Rodgers when he won it, he had a great defense. And Brett Favre, he had Reggie White and Leroy Butler. Like, we had a dominant defense, okay? But we had some great players on offense, too. And, and we brought – think about I told you, we, we brought in, like, 15 guys on free agents. And, and all the Buccaneers, they brought in, like, 10, the Gronk and Fournette. <laughs> like, you know, players matter. You know what I mean? And, oh, yeah, that was in Gruden's first year. That was in Brady's first year. Like, there are so many similarities that right. it, it's just the greatness of both teams for the Buccaneer organization. It's, it's awesome that have won two Lombardis, and hopefully they bring some more. Well, we love Tom Brady, but, man, you, you, you'll always be the first, brother. You're, you're the man. You're awesome. Brad Johnson, first-ever Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl 37, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brad is also a TikTok star. If you like TikTok, all you young kids out there, <laughs> go to big, at Big Bad Brad 14. You see Trick Shot Brad every week. He puts out different TikTok, does a great job with that. And, man, what a pleasure it is, Brad. We pre really appreciate the time, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you, man. Thanks, Peter. Have a great week, Brad, and we'll talk to you real soon, and we'll be right back on the No Quarter Given podcast. The Bucks and the Falcons have been division rivals for the past 20 years, but they did meet on many previous occasions prior to the realignment in 2002. The Bucks currently lead the series 29-28. to 28. So here's a little trivia question for you while uh, this highlight reel is running. Can you name the other four NFL teams that the Bucs currently have winning records against. Now, it was the Falcons who the Bucs beat for their first ever win. Well, technically, that is. It was an exhibition game in 1976, played at the Gator Bowl in front of just over 11,000 people, and the Bucs won 17-3. Of course, it would be 26 games before they won a really meaningful game. Now, let's fast forward to week four of 1978. This was the first time the Bucs reached 500 in the season, when they evened the record at 2-2. Two and two. It was a rainy night in Georgia, sorry, rainy night in Tampa. The field was a bit of a quagmire, but Doug Williams found Jim Abradovich for the winning touchdown in a 14-9 victory. Abradovich back in at tight end. Williams has a man open. Complete touchdown to Jim Abradovich. Well, someone missed the coverage on that because Obradovich ran right down in the end zone and no one even touched him. Ever heard of Bucks defensive lineman Scott Hutchinson? No, not surprising because he only played the 1981 season in Tampa, but he did deflect Nick Luckhurst's field goal attempt right at the end of a game in 1981. The Bucks would beat Atlanta 24-23 on their way to their second division title. And there was no way I was doing this feature without a friendly dig at my old friend Mick, who preceded me as a presenter of the NFL here in the UK.
Mick Luckhurst spent most of the 1987 season over on the sideline, watching his Falcons give up 48 points. Ray Perkins' first ever game as head coach, and it was a game we featured on a BuckPower.com podcast last year with Randy Grimes joining us as our special guest. I think we can find time for a couple of Steve DeBerg's record-setting five touchdowns in that game. And get open, and let's see if they're going to go to their good wide receiver, Gerald Carter. DeBerg. And he connects with Phil Freeman. Second and three. Ball on the three. Touchdown, Gerald Carter. Now, Michael Vick ran riot against most NFL teams for quite a few seasons, but he always had a lot of problems with Monty Kiffin's defense. In fact, in one 2004 encounter, Vick was even benched for Matt Shaw. It does not get any worse than NFL starting quarterback than that. But we're going to fast forward to 2016. It was Dirk Cutter's first game as the head coach of the Buccaneers, and it took place in Atlanta. Jameis Winston hit Austin, Safari, and Jenkins for a 30-yard scoring pass, and Cutter became a winning coach in his first game. First down at the Atlanta 30. Winston with time. Throwing deep for the end zone. Safarian Jenkins holds on for a touchdown. The Bucks have won the last four games against Atlanta, and Tom Brady has got no less than 15 touchdown passes in those victories. But in the game last year at Raymond James Stadium, it was safety Mike Edwards who stole the show. Well, he actually stole the ball twice off uh, Matt Ryan. He had two interception returns for touchdown, tying a certain Rondé Barber who did it against Philadelphia in 2006. Blitz coming. Ryan sees it. Oh, it's intercepted. Picked off. Edwards has it all the way for the touchdown. Our first down. Blitz coming. Ryan knocked way in there. And that's going to be intercepted. And that's going to be returned for a touchdown by Edwards again. Now, this Sunday's game will be a memorable one for me because I'm flying across the Atlantic. 4,000 miles to see my beloved Buccaneers take on Atlanta. And I'll be at the What the Buck tailgate from very early on the Sunday morning. I hope to see many of the Buck Power followers at that or around the stadium during the day. Now the answer to the trivia question. Outside of Atlanta, there are four other teams who the Buccaneers currently have winning records against. And they're all in the AFC. Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City and the team in South Florida. And you can, of course, recap all the previous 57 meetings with the Falcons on puckpower.com because every game is featured there with the stats, pictures, video clips, reports, you name it, it's there. Puckpower.com. Every game, every player, everything bucks. All right, Buck fans, welcome back. No Quarter Given Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, along with Peter Blake. Again, hopefully you you love that interview with Brad Johnson, Paul Stewart's great montage. Paul Stewart will be at the game Sunday, Raymond James Stadium, all the way from England. Remember, buckpower.com is your place to go for all things Bucks, all things Bucks history, audio, video, statistics. And I got to tell you another note, Peter Blake, another Mm -hmm. Buccaneer note. Mm -hmm. Monday night, October the 3rd, we made up high school games here in Tampa from the hurricane, got ranked, got got canceled because of the hurricane last Friday. 
Mm-hmm. And guess who I refereed at Plant City High School? Michael Clayton. Who, who is now the head coach of Plant City High School, one Michael Clayton, Buccaneer, former Buccaneer first-round draft pick wide receiver out of LSU, head coach, a winning effort, 137-12. to 12. So shout-out to Michael Clayton for getting on the board for his Plant City Raiders. Absolutely. Good for him. Good for him. And he also does a post-game on uh, 95.3, 620 uh, WWE. Right. Yeah, so Tom Krasnicki. My, Michael looked like he could still go out there and run routes too, man. Really? He didn't like a couple calls I made in the game, though. I got to admit, he didn't. There was a, co- a lot of penalties in the game. There were a couple things he did not like with with your man JP as the head referee. Did he? Uh, did he? Did you slip his? Did you slip uh, your number to him and say, "Hey, I got this podcast." I do, do need to. I do. I will do that. I see, that. That's a great idea. I will do that. Yeah, we yeah, will get him on. We should get him on. He's great. We will get him on. All right. Let's go to Atlanta Falcons. Two and two Bucks. Two and two Falcons. They come to town. No again, Cleveland. Or I mean, uh, Atlanta beats Cleveland last week in Atlanta. They come here two and two. This is one of the surprise teams in the league, to my in my opinion. Played much better than we all thought. We thought they were going to be a dumpster fire. They played really well through four games. Mariota, they're running the ball really well as a team. The offensive line's playing well. The defense is better than I thought. They're not great. But they're being very, they're very competitive, and give Arthur Smith credit; he's done a good job through four weeks. And like I talked about before the season, if you have Marcus Mariota as your starting quarterback, you don't have a starting quarterback. But to that credit, to be fair, he has played well in this Arthur Smith defense or Arthur Smith offense, excuse me. And they've been helped out by Cordero Patterson, who, by the way, is out for this game, who killed the Bucks last yes. year. So that is a major loss and a good thing. Uh, for the Bucks and that defense, especially nearly giving up 200 yards to the Kansas City uh, offense on Sunday night. So, yes, they're playing well. Yes, they have talent on the defensive side of the ball, but this is certainly a winnable game. But the Falcons, they always give the Bucks everything they can handle, don't they? I think this is a get-healthy game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think you're going to see the focus. I think that that locker room is pissed off about what happened last Sunday night. I think you are going to see an elite performance out of the Buccaneers offense and defense this Sunday. I'm going to, and then we're going to to get to our predictions here in a little bit. You will see a dialed in Buccaneer defense. There will not be 179, 89 yards rushing. I can promise you no quarter Patterson. You will, you are going to see a dialed in Buccaneer team this Sunday afternoon. I I think at Raymond James stadium. Absolutely. And it comes down to containing Mariota. If you can contain him in the pocket and force him to throw the ball, I think you win that game. You got to hit him. You got to get more consistent pass pressure on him. And like you said, you got to stop the running game and you still have Kyle Pitts on this team, right? Again, you still have some weapons so they can be dangerous, but certainly a winnable game. And hopefully Julio Jones, this is Uh. the game right here. You circle that you say, you know what, maybe you feed him the ball because you're doubling up on a Mike Evans. Uh, you have an A.J. Terrell in the backfield. He's become a pretty good corner. Maybe you bracket coverage to him. Somebody steps up. Is it Chris Godwin? Is it Julio Jones? This is the game I have circled for Jones to break out. And if he doesn't, and if this Bucks team does struggle versus the Atlanta Falcons, I think there could be some cause for concern, but I don't see it happening on Sunday. I just don't know if Julio Jones can physically stay healthy. I think he might be old from the waist down, knees, ankles. I mean, I just I worry about Julio being from the waist down just because I think Todd Bowles said he didn't play much in the second half because his, he couldn't get his knee warmed up after halftime. So, I mean, 
I just really worry about – there's probably something going on with his knee. I just really worry about Julio Jones. But I, I do like that Chris Godwin's back. Gage played pretty good. Gage is going to be a good three. Again, I think you're going to see some version of Scotty Miller and Darden. And here's another here's another guy to be on the lookout for who's going to get an opportunity this Sunday, Kyle Rudolph. Brake's probably not going to play. Rudolph's probably going to get activated. This is your chance, Kyle Rudolph, to, to show us what you can do as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. How disappointing has Kyle Rudolph been in this offense, in your opinion? Because we had some high expectations. We thought he could block. We thought he could right. contribute and catch. And they don't. We haven't even seen him on the field. I think he had one catch for the whole year. Yeah. So that's been disappointing. But you're exactly right. He has to step up for Cameron Brait because Brait may. Brait's not going to play in this game. There's I don't no think play. so. So you're going to depend on two rookies and Kyle Rudolph. They better come out and play. And I'm telling you right now, that prediction, Jason Powers. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. The the biggest loss on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year, period. In my opinion, you could talk about Sue and JPP. At the end of the day, for me, it's Rob Gronkowski. Not only the end line blocking, the help that offensive line out on passing situations, but what he does is a pass catching threat, especially in the red zone has been missed. So, I'm hoping you're correct, and I feel like you too. If Julio Jones can't stay healthy, you've got to go after OBJ. I agree with that. If we if, you, if they realize Julio can't do it another couple weeks, then definitely OBJ is going to be on the target list, especially if Gronkowski doesn't come back. Now, if Gronk comes back, maybe you don't get OBJ. But if Gronk, I mean, but if there's no Gronk, OBJ is going to be definitely on the list. Um, for sure. No you doubt know, about me, it. It goes back to a line from Casino, one of my favorite movies. The guy's talking about often this guy, often that guy. And he says, oh, you know, this guy's a real good guy. And the other guy goes, why even take a chance? Sign them both. Sign OBJ and Gronk. If you're going all in to go to right. Arizona and win a Super Bowl, sign them both. Jason Light is a wizard. This organization knows how to mess around with the salary cap. Sign both of them for Tom Brady. And let's have Brady go out if he's going to go out at this point right. because of the situation, you know, off the field, which I guess just, we can get I mean, in. just talk about it. They've, it. Sounds like they've both hired divorce lawyers. It's right. probably happening here. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's the, the, the news is kind of getting out of the bag here. It sounds like the, the end is coming between Tom and Giselle. Right. The end is near possibly. So if that end is near, do you think that kind of controls – Brady's mindset to say, you know what, this is the last year. Maybe this is not the last year. Maybe <laughs> especially if he's single. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you're single and you care about football, and obviously Brady loves football, that's yeah. he's the greatest of all time. Who's to say Jason Powers he couldn't play until he's fifty? Maybe uh. all those rumors that were coming out. You know, maybe he was trying to kind of be that good husband and good guy and politically correct and say what everybody wanted him to say. But really in the back of his mind, he was saying, you know what? I think I could play me play until I'm 50 years old. <laughs> if he's still throwing 40 touchdowns and he's not taking those hits, which has been the concern this year. Why not? Yeah, we'll see. All right. Give me a predictions. 41, 17 Tampa Bay. Just take it to him. Okay. Just take it to I was going to go. I'm in that neighborhood. I was going to say 38 14 is going to be my call. Let's run the ball a little bit. We got to get, again, Fournette and Rashad White going a little bit. Balance. Again, I think the Bucs are the dominant team here. Atlanta should not be within 
more than within minimum two touchdowns. I saw your boy Harry Greek. The Greek said, "Take Atlanta minus the eight and plus the eight and a half. No way, brother. Take load the wagon on the Buccaneers. You are going to have a dialed in Tampa Bay Buccaneers team this week. That I can promise you. I agree, especially when they're at home, right? I mean, they're not on the road. They're at Raymond James Stadium. So you're zero and two at home. You got to show out for these fans. It's time to put the pedal to the metal against those Atlanta Atlanta Falcons. And the schedule eases up here this next month. You got an opportunity here to run off a couple of wins, three, four wins in a row potentially. So, I mean, this is a chance. You got through the first quarter of the season, rough part of the schedule, two and two, which is good. You're still in first place. New Orleans is struggling. Now's the time to get some separation in this division. And I'm with you. I think big, big win for the Buccaneers Sunday. Remember, Bucks fans, Saturday, 2 o'clock, 2 to about 3.30, Peter and I will be doing game day live from Beef O'Brady's, Himes Avenue and Bush Boulevard in the Carrollwood Forest Hills area, Tampa. Come on out and say hello. We'll talk to you. We'll, we'll get you on the air if you need to. All that good stuff. It's a great atmosphere. Watch your favorite college team. You can go there on Sundays and watch NFL, Thursday nights, Monday nights. That's the place to go, Beef O'Brady's, Bush and Himes Avenue. Peter Blake, yes, sir. have a great birthday week. Thank you. Congratulations. Sorry, we've lost two in a row at home, but we got to get this losing streak out of here, man. Yes. Just like the hurricane. Yes. Get the hell out of here. We got it. And we got great weather going on. Of course, catch me on the sports web sometimes Monday and Wednesday on Facebook, YouTube, now LinkedIn Live, Twitter. There of you course, go. I love St. Pete. Uh, the hub and amped up sports. And because I'm not going to wake my neighbors up because I'm under a curfew, uh, <laughs> bring your passion. <laughs> Just don't bring any nonsense. I'm your host, Peter Blake getting out of this situation, because if I have to have a curfew here, it's not going to last for long, my friend. And we will be live streaming our, the game day live as well on my Facebook page, on Peter, on, on Peter's, Peter's uh, outlets as well. So if you can't see us in person, check us out on, on, on our live streaming. My Facebook page, Jason Powers. We're going to be hitting Peter's face, uh, Facebook page. I love St. Pete as well. So love to see a Buck fans. Again, let's go Buccaneers. Let's get off the two and two Schneid. We're going to get to three and two. We're going to get on a roll here as we move into October. Peter Blake's going to, you know, we got to get out of the curfew over there. He, he's not 12 years old anymore. I'm moving. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm going to be moving soon. And Buck fans, if you see Paul Stewart at the stadium, tell him how much you love the No Quarter Given podcast. There you go. All right, Buck fans. See you Sunday. Good luck. Remember, it's a 1 o'clock game Sunday, Raymond James. Expect the weather to be good. And let's do. Let's say one thing as we go out the door. I'll say it here. You can't. You're in trouble. Let's go. See you next time, Buck fans. No Quarter Given podcast. Go, Buck. Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.